This is Mary Pope Osborne, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. went into the film industry with this intention to not be in the film industry. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but let me explain. I, yeah. When I went to film school at UC Santa Barbara, I met a lot of filmmakers, imparted their wisdom and knowledge, you know, to me from their, their careers, you know, what, what they've been through. And not a lot of it was good. There was a lot of regret in their voices. There was a lot of the sense that, you know, that maybe ambition trumped living a, a happier life. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We are on Twitter at the GBB Podcast. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. And we are also in your ears right now. Or maybe not in your, I, I guess we're in your ears. Yeah, we're mostly, even if you don't have earbuds or something, and that's still where people hear. <laughs> exactly. Unless you have this transcribed somehow into, <laughs> into text. <laughs> So, so how's yeah, it going, it, Jamie? Uh, it's it, things are going well. Good. How, how good. are things with you? Things are good. Busy, and it's winter, and I can't wait till it's not winter. But after that, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we uh, we we just had that big uh, snowstorm here. I live near DC, if you didn't right. know, and uh, we just had that big blizzard come through. So we're still digging out of that. But uh, so this was really our first taste of winter this year because winter had been warm. Mm-hmm. until until last week and then we got the snow and right and you've had the kids home all week yeah because dc is completely un- unprepared for this kind of snow we got two and a half feet and so that sort of shut down everything so the kids got the whole week off of school <laughs> awesome so I'm, lo- I'm looking at anybody who's willing to adopt my kids just to get them out of the house <laughs> you know they're good home for a few days but, yeah one or two you know, days is fine yeah you know, i got some work now? to do and Jay, I don't. Oh, Jamie, most you mostly work from home too, right? So I do. I telework, so I work mostly from. I have a home office, but luckily I have a door that locks. So. Right there, you go. <laughs> Perfect. Just put Netflix on. That's right. We're not condoning that type of childcare, by the way. Oh, I never we're awful that. parents. I never put the kids in front of Netflix. What are you talking? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we're here for another great interview this week. Jamie, why don't you tell us about our guest? This week, I had the absolute pleasure of talking to Kazu Kibawishi. Um, if you have a kid who is uh, into graphic novels, um, pretty much the first thing that many librarians will put in their hands are the Bone books uh, by Jeff Smith. Uh, and then after that, if, if, if you have a, a young reader who really latches onto Bone, the next thing any decent person would do <laughs> is put a copy of Amulet in that kid's hand. Um, Amulet is Kazu's... Um, it, we're up to seven now. The seventh book is just about to come out. It will ultimately be nine, but it is his seri- his uh, graphic novel series. Um, just phenomenal, amazing art. Um, but he comes from uh, he comes from a place of he's done a lot of uh, web comics. He did uh, the Flight and Explorer compilations. He was the editor on those. Uh, really groundbreaking work that he he did. He got a lot of people together to do uh, short, you know, just a few page stories that they would 
they, they compiled into uh, the uh, the flight uh, trade paperbacks, and then they did a few explorer ones that were targeted toward young readers. But this is just an absolute great conversation. We talk we talk a bit about his work, uh, his previous books, what he's got coming up, uh, his influences, his process, uh, everything. So right. uh, just listen in. And I can't. I'm Jamie's going solo on this one, so I haven't heard it yet, and I can't wait. So you we're gonna heard it. we're gonna Don't we're gonna listen that. to it now. <laughs> So J- Jamie's going solo on this one, and he does a fantastic job. T- oh, thank he-, you. he picks up my slack. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, I try. So uh, have a great listen. Let us know if you like it. Kazu, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. This is just an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I've been a big fan of yours for a long, long time. <laughs> um, just starting out. Think something that I think is uh, interesting is you actually have a degree in film studies, and so I'm wondering how, what led to a career in comics and illustration stemming from that. Um, yeah, well, what led to a career in comics? And that's a good question. I I've actually been drawing comics um, my entire life, so um, that's that's not something that that's new um, um, or something that I uh, you know chose um, when I was in college. Um, I never, I think maybe while I was in middle school, I uh, had a little bit of a dream to do comics, uh, superhero comics like Jim Lee, mm-hmm. and and mostly because that's what my friends were into who were drawing. I, I would hang out with them and they would they would say, this is what you do to become a professional comic artist. But it was very short-lived. I didn't think it was a very practical thing for me to um, to apply all my energy to. Um, and so I, I decided to, to work in film because it just seemed like something a little bit more um, established, uh, that there could be a career for me uh, moving ahead. I actually didn't see comics um, doing too well beyond the 90s. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> that was a rough I, time. <laughs> I, well, no, well, in the 90s, it was, I was in the middle, as a kid, I, I was right in the middle of the whole boom. Yeah. You know, the big um, superhero comics boom. And, and I just, even then, as a as a kid, I could see that it was um, um, it was all speculative yeah. because people were were buying too many copies of the books and they weren't actually reading them; they were just collecting them. And I I thought, you know, there's no way this could hold. This, this can't keep going. Um, you know, at the end of the day, people are going to have to want to buy content that they want to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't enjoy reading a lot of the comics; I just like looking at them. So um, that that drove my decision to find something a little bit more serious. Minded <laughs> to uh, to study, and I, I since I drew so much, I wanted to find something where I could study and bring um, bring my studies into the work I was already doing, uh, rather than having somebody teach me something that I was already um, I was already uh, enthusiastic about. Uh, that's why I, I chose film studies and not mm-hmm. film production. Um, that's that. There's a there's a pretty big distinction there. I think yeah. between the two. Did you ever um, do anything in the film studies industry, or you know, did you yeah, ever decide yeah, to pursue I, that? I did. Um, I I did go into the film industry for a short time, um, and I was developing a movie at Disney. Uh, I was doing an animated film um, at Walt Disney Feature Animation for a short time. It was a really odd experience because I really didn't get to do much work. Um, I had a story. I had some boards for it. I pitched it. They signed me on as a director. It was um, a, 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 an original story. It was an original story, yeah. yeah. It was actually um, inspired by my brother and I. You know, just my me and my brother oh, great. right out of college, but as pets. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, they liked it. 
we got to I got to uh, pitch to a lot of people, including um, uh, Robert Zemeckis's group and um, and and to Tom Hanks and. And there were a lot of really wonderful people in Hollywood that I would have loved to have worked with. And we ended up at Disney and I just thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. I, I still couldn't believe that it was happening at the time. I was only 21, 22 years old. Wow. Um, and I, um, didn't, I, I was correct in my assumption that this would probably not get made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wanted to see what it was like. So I, I wouldn't, didn't want to be, I actually went into the film industry with this intention to not be in the film industry, believe really? it or not. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but um, let me explain. I, yeah. When I went to film school at UC Santa Barbara, I met a lot of filmmakers um, that um, imparted their wisdom and knowledge, you know, to me from their their careers, you know, what what they've been through. And not a lot of it was good. Um, a lot of it, there was a lot of regret in their voices. There was a lot of uh, the sense that you know that maybe ambition trumped um, um, living a, a happier life, you know, something that was a little more balanced. I think that they felt that a lot of their lives were in the control, were in the hands of other people. Sure. I think that's part of what it was. They didn't have a lot of control over that. So um, I took that into consideration when I went to Hollywood. There was this, you know, a lot of people were warning me, like, "Don't go to Hollywood. Don't do all that stuff. Don't don't get in there. It's terrible." And I I don't like hearing. I don't I don't like hearing somebody give me a negative view of something without me feeling like they have the proper perspective. So, um, so I decided I'm going to go into this and I was already willing to lose this project that I was developing at Disney. I, I threw it in there. I threw it in the fire knowing that I was going to be 100% okay walking away from it. Because mm -hmm. what I wanted to do is I wanted to see what it was like mm -hmm. to go through it myself and see if people's, you know, um, view of, of Hollywood, their negative view of Hollywood mm -hmm. was warranted. Um, some of it is, some of it isn't, and a lot of it isn't. So, you know, it was, I, I learned a lot in the process of doing that. Um, when I came back to comics, it was me just reestablished. Like I decided, okay, well, now that I've seen all that, I won't be tempted away by it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it, no, it, no. It's like one of those things that you say you have to, um, you know, you've got to make your own mistakes and you've got to learn. You say that about kids a lot, you know, it's like you can tell them what not to do until the end of the day, but they're not going to listen to you. They got to go ahead and make their own mistake before they'll actually learn a lesson. Was it so was it sort of like that? Like you heard all these stories from these people who have been there and have done it. And you're like, well, I hear you and I understand it. And I don't think that you're lying to me, but I kind of have to go do it for myself because exactly. clearly it, it works for a lot of people. There's a lot of people in Hollywood who deal with it and who really, you know, I guess, enjoy it. So. Oh, and Hollywood, it's a great place. It's a great business to be in. It's really exciting. Um, there's, you know, um, yeah, I, I would have, I would have enjoyed my time there. Um, I, I'm part of it still. I'm producing the yeah. emulator. So uh, I'm still, I'm still part of this, uh, the business and it, it is fun. Uh, there, uh, you know, I, th I think when you go into something with the improper expectations and when those expectations are not met, then there's a sense of disappointment. I see it in comics too. I think people come into comics thinking, Oh, I'm going to get a big book deal sure. and everything's going to be okay. And, and I have to remind a lot of my friends or, or other colleagues that maybe I, you know, I, I meet in passing. I have to remind them, look, when you get the book on the shelf, that's the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's the beginning of a long road. And, and everything after that is a lot harder than what led up to it. It's gonna the challenges have changed now. It's not about walking through the door. It's about establishing yourself as somebody who um, not just deserves to be there, but you know is is in some ways 
um, helpful to the whole, you know, and figure out where do that, where do you, you know, what's your position? What position do you play, um, uh, to help? So it's a really good point. You you often think about, if I could just make, get that first book deal, or if I could just, you know, get, get on my first TV show or whatever, you know, it's a, it's a big difference between making a name for yourself and saying, I belong here. And then saying, I belong to, I, I, I belong to stay here. You know, like I, I need to stay here. Like I, this is where I belong. This is what I can contribute rather than just, mm-hmm. I'm just a, you know, flash in the pan kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting though. I didn't know, realize that you had been um, developing something for Disney. How, how much development went in before it sort of got turned off? Not much at all. Much. I, I could see, I could see the, the, the card that I was, the cards I was being dealt, they didn't look so good. <laughs> I was, so I folded pretty quick. Um, uh, and a lot of it was just knowing my film history. Um, this is something I, I often talk about um, with the, with students, with kids, uh, how important it is to um, to read up on the history of whatever you're getting involved in. Um, I, I know so much about comics history because I'm in it. I, I felt like I had to, I, well, I'm fascinated by it. It's fascinating yeah. to see how comics have developed in America and other countries. Um, but I, I knew a lot about how film um, developed as well. Um, so um, yeah, so the, so I had a I, what I knew um, going in is that a lot of the movies that were being developed at Disney hadn't been made in a long time. I had heard about Rapunzel, for example, for a long time. I mean, it, when I was a kid, I knew that Rapunzel was being worked on, and and when I saw the project, I actually got to see it like in development while I was there. And I could tell that they weren't going to finish it, <laughs> you know, at least in that, in that, in that incarnation, in, in that current incarnation, it was not going to be done. Um, you know, of course, once uh, John Lasseter and Pixar got involved with everything they were doing down in Disney South, they did finish it and it became uh, Rapunzel, yeah. I mean, a uh, Tangled, Tangled, right? It became yeah. Tangled. Yeah. And uh, it's the same with um, Frozen. Frozen was also something that was in development for uh, something oh, like 30 decades. years. Yeah. Yeah. 30 years at the time when I got there. So I thought, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, how much I, time do I have? <laughs> my project is not as important as that project or this project or American dog, you know, by uh, Chris Sanders, which eventually became bolt. Yeah. I just thought, you know, I'm really far down the bottom of this totem pole. Uh, this traffic jam is going to last a long time, maybe yeah. my entire life. So I just thought, you know, I really, I just want to, I just want to, you know, um, make my mistakes now. I just want to yeah. see what, ha- I want to see my stuff get out there and see if people really respond to it or if they don't. I, I just want that quick reaction time. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I, I chose to to do comics because I could do that. And yeah. and so I guess this goes into this, like with with um, a career in publishing and a, or a career in, um, in animation, um, I, I think people... Um, a lot of times get into um, uh, the expectations game. They, they want to know what they're going to get out of it uh, when they get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the only way you can really protect yourself is to think about, think only about what you're putting into it and how you can get better at that one thing mm-hmm. and, and then allow the whole, the world to decide what they're going to do with you. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's so crazy out there. You just never know how things are going to turn out. There's nothing you can control beyond the immediate and the immediate is, you know, are you good enough to be proud of your own achievements in that, in, in your small little, you know, um, circle. So, yeah. uh, comics allows that, you know, it's, it's physically a representation of that. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, that's, 
it's really kind of enlightening because it's a, a lot of people don't necessarily realize how long it takes for something like a movie or a book to get done. I mean, you're saying like these, these those movies have been in development for 30 years. Yeah. And even, you know, you could pick up a graphic novel off the shelf and somebody might look at that and be like, oh, that, you know, how long could that possibly have taken? It's just some pictures in the story. But people, what people don't realize is just how long it takes, how long somebody is going to sit down and dedicate themselves to that. So I think that's absolutely right. What you're saying is that, you know, you really have to be proud of it yourself because you're the one who's going to be living with it. And that's what you have to show for, for all right. the hard work. And, you know, honestly, it's actually um, um, the length of time required to get something done isn't necessarily uh, reflective of the actual craft that goes into mm -hmm. uh, making that book. Well, it's reflective of the skills that need to be developed to make that book or that movie. Um, but a lot of it's also about timing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with Amulet, um, one of the things that I did recognize pretty quickly was that the timing was correct. Um, I, I mean, I was a surfer, so, you know, I, I watch, I watch the way I, I know how to watch to read the waves as they're coming in. I could see the swells, you know, and I know where to be, uh, to get, uh, my chance at getting a good wave. And I kind of saw that with, with comics. I felt like, okay, well, I actually didn't like making comics all that much. <laughs> really? I'll have to admit when I started this career, one of the reasons why I didn't want, I was so hesitant to do it is because it's so hard that it's so difficult that, um, it's not enjoyable most of the time, you know? And in, I, in but, what way? It's just physically. Physically? Hard. It's like physic. Yeah. I mean, you, you can talk to a lot of people who are story artists or comic artists. And uh, the reason why there aren't that many people doing what I'm doing is because of how difficult it is and how often um, somebody who puts all that time in is probably not going to see, you know, the fruits of their labor. They're not going to see anybody um, uh, champion it or, you know, uh, they won't find success. Um, however, I did see that there was just this opening. I just felt like something was happening in comics. There was a shift um, towards um, more truly mainstream entertainment, that there was something where we could make comics that my mom and my grandma and my, my, my siblings and uh, my friends would read, you know, and I saw that that was probably happened. A lot of it happened because of um, because of Jeff Smith, because of Bone, because of a lot of things that were percolating in the 90s. And when I saw that Jeff wasn't doing any more Bone books, I, I felt like there was this kind of a gaping hole yeah. <laughs> left where it, the opportunity had still hadn't cemented itself for all these storytellers. And, and yet there wasn't something there to continue to carry that torch. Um, and I was doing Daisy Cutter at the time. Um, and I saw that that was going to be something where I think people would have championed the artistic merit of it. And I would have been successful to some extent. Mm -hmm. It would have been um, really cool to, to be a part of it. I, I feel like it was similar to something like Firefly or, um, yeah. oh, absolutely. Uh, or, uh, or Hellboy, you know, yeah. um, things I love, but I, I didn't, um, I didn't think that, uh, it was, it was the thing that, that needed to be made in the moment. And that's why I stopped, um, between, uh, Daisy Cutter one and two, uh, it wasn't the money. It wasn't all any of that stuff. It was, I just felt like culturally there was a moment and I had to catch this wave. I had, I had to go now on uh, something like Amulet, which I didn't think I was prepared to do. And I, I, I did the book. So you got to look at the, you got to look at the waves, you know, obviously you're, you're very good at reading those waves then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they move slowly. Yeah. Slowly. <laughs> it's not like uh, But if but the like, the opening though, the window of opportunity closes I think pretty fast. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean what other time would I have had so it's, 
so many receptive people in the publishing world who was looking for this kind of content and are ready to go now. Yeah. You know, to have a David Saylor um, ready to go now. Jana Morshima brought my book in to Scholastic. Then she was looking for something like this. And like, how often will you have someone on the other side of this, right. on, you know, um, with uh, having your back? Yeah. It's it's very rare, so I, I had to I had to shift everything I was going to do to make sure that this would work. So when you began Amulet, like when you first, you know, when you pitched the idea and they and they were on board and you started writing the story and, and outlining everything, were you already envisioning like this really long? I mean, you probably didn't know it was going to be nine books at the time, but were you envisioning a long drawn out story, or is it going to be something that was much shorter? One three hundred page book. That was it. That was it. Yeah, and that's what I pitched. Yeah, and they asked me if I would split that into two books that were shorter, mm -hmm. about 128 pages. And I said, "Well, sure, maybe. You know, I can give it a try." Yeah. And then so, um, and then I couldn't fit the story into 120 pages, so it became 200 pages. And and then I did the next book, and that became 224 pages. And um, by the end of the second book, um, which I intended. Really, I was really intending that to be the end of the story mm -hmm. <laughs> at the time. Um, as I was getting towards the end, my editor and uh, David Saylor and I could see that this was not the end. And so um, they asked me if I would do more books. And I, I thought, I said, no, I'm glad you asked because um, uh, I had intended to go at least five yeah. now. Kind of so. the, the opposite issue that you had then working at Disney. Like at Disney, you could see that it was going nowhere, but in Schol at Scholastic with with Amiel, you're like, well, I can see that this is going somewhere big. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know about big, but uh, it was definitely, um, yeah, it wasn't the success that was really guiding this because by the time I had to make the decision to do the third, fourth, and fifth books, um, I'll tell you, like my contracts for those books were not as good as the first two, uh -huh. <laughs> and a lot of it's because I they didn't do all that. I didn't think they were doing, they said, they say that it, they was doing pretty well, but yeah. um, I mean, I guess it's all relative. I think for a graphic novel at that time, it was doing pretty well, but um, was it enough to feed me? No, actually it wasn't, you know, it wasn't <laughs> enough to like pay for a lot of things. If it wasn't for the amulet movie deal that was happening, if it wasn't for um, my uh, freelance work at the time, I, I wouldn't have been able to survive. Um, and also the anthologies also paid for it. Cause I, I was paid as a, as a, I had editor fees, you know, that I got, I got paid. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, um, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy to, but I was, I stuck with it because I already knew what it would be like going down the other path. Not that yeah. film would have been bad. Yeah. It's just that, uh, I, I thought uh, I was less needed there. Well, how, I mean, how does that affect your storytelling? I mean, if you were originally thinking about two books and then that was the end of the story and then they, they sign you up and say, how about a three and then a four and then a five and now you're up to nine. I mean, yeah. when you were never really sure of where that end was going to be, how does that affect how you tell the story? Well, I know where the end is. Um, that hasn't changed since, like, I think um, uh, I had the ending that I'm gonna I'm gonna get to is the same ending that I had in mind when I, it was done with Amulet Two. Okay. Um, it's pretty simple. The whole story. It's not. It, it gets complex, you know, and that's that's where the challenge is, is as a storyteller. How do I make this uh, something that people can digest and understand when they look at it and on the whole? But, you know, emotionally, it's pretty simple and it's, it's still on track to get to where I intended to, it to go. Um, so, no, it has. I mean, it, I feel like it's been kind of like a loop, you know, the yeah. story is a bit of a loop 
And as time went on, it didn't necessarily change too much. It just got bigger. Okay. And more a little more complex. I was able to add a little bit more inside of this loop that is continuing to expand. Um, and you'll see in this next book, when Amulet Sub comes out and you read it, it's, um, uh, you'll see that I'm, I'm starting to close that loop. Okay. Well, I mean, since this is your story and you know this is what you've been doing for years now, when you step back to look at the big picture and you think about the story that will be told over those nine books with that bigger loop, do you think that that's a better story than it would have been if it were just the two books, the shorter story that you originally thought about? Or is it just a different story and they're both equally, they would have both equally been good? Um, it's pretty much the same story. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, just, it's a lot of, I just allowed for interesting surprises to happen along the way to make mm -hmm. it a little more fun. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think one's better than the other. Yeah. I think I would have adjusted um, according to whatever happened in you know at the time. Like if they'd made the movie um, early on, because the movie, the first movie deal happened uh, before the first book came out, so it wasn't even, we weren't even done <laughs> with the book, and it was already picked up, and it was kind of a surprise for us. So, um, um, if they had made the movie, I think that would have changed a lot of things. Sure. Because it might have already been culturally relevant and, and might have gone away already. Yeah. And I probably would have had a lot of incentive to start something new. Um, so, I mean, that could have changed it. So I, I always allow for the world to just do its thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I try to be flexible and, and try to just work around the moment. Um, uh, there's just been too many projects in my past, like from when I was when I was in college, especially, where I tried really hard to stick to a thing that I had a vision for my career to go a certain way, and the the harder I stuck to it, whenever whenever failure came across came came my way and things didn't work out, and and often it didn't, uh, it was very hurtful. It was very hard to deal with it. Um, and I just couldn't, um, it was hard to continue and have the energy to continue and, and do a good job. So now I just prepare for eventual fail failure, <laughs> just prepare for, you know, right around the corner, something bad might happen and it often does. So now I'm just try, I just try to stay poised, you know, and, and, in the, and like try to recover in the moment and, yeah. and turn it to my advantage if I can. And, and with comics, I kind of feel like I did that. When you um, create a new character or a new environment or you introduce somebody new, how much um, concept art do you do in, in, in advance? Like, do you sit down and just sketch out lots of different characters before you decide on one? Or do you just sort of let the, let the pen go? Yeah, I actually let the story determine the design of the scenes. Like, I, I, I adjust my designs based on what I need. For example, if I needed like a, a little room where you know the characters were going to be, and that room has to move somewhere, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so then I'll, I'll turn that like in Amulet Seven. Um, there's like a lot of uh, dialogue in a submarine, so I needed a submarine, and then that's when I, I decide, oh well, I'm going to design this particular thing to look like what? What am I going to make it look like? And then I start, you know, so it, a lot of it, a lot of it. Um, grows out of the story and yeah. whatever the characters need in the moment. So I'm always adjusting and changing the set um, to suit that. Yeah. Um, moving away from Amulet for a few minutes. Um, a few years ago, you did all new covers for the Harry Potter books, mm -hmm. um, which were gorgeous. I thought, you know, no, no, no slight against the original covers, but I, I think I prefer yours. <laughs> That's, <humble. laughs> That's the, the, the two different times, you know, yeah. like a, 
It I mean, is. Mary Pri would have probably done a much better job than me <laughs> if she had a chance to go back and do it. Um, curious though, how much freedom did you have with the images that you drew, like the images that you chose, the scenes oh, that you chose? Uh, like almost a hundred percent. Oh, really? Uh, I was very, uh, I mean, I was just really fortunate to be working with, um, Scholastic. I mean, they've just been so, um, especially David Saylor. I, I can't say enough about how, um, how well he works with his artists in, in that he tr he finds people he really admires and trusts and he puts the trust, he puts the ball in their court mm -hmm. and he'll do it all the time. And a lot of times, sometimes I come to him and I say, can you, you know, like, what do you think, David? Like, why is this like, you know, I have to get past, there's an approval process for everything. Right. Mm -hmm. So they have to say, okay, well we like it, but David will never say, why don't you try this or do that instead? He won't push. He won't push it in another direction. He just trusts me to figure it out. And he just says, "Why don't you take a step back? Mm -hmm. This isn't working." So you know, I think we all know that. And you think you know that? Um, why don't you take a step back and think about it? I, I have faith that you'll figure that out. And he he does that all the time. So he puts the ball in my court, and, and it makes me, you know, um, step step up my work. You know, to to me to to basically, I feel like. Um, when the goal isn't uh, so um, rigid and, and, and like it, it isn't so um, specific mm -hmm. that I, uh, it's harder for an artist to meet whatever that goal is because it's, 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 <coughs> it's so high above them. <laughs> yeah. And so I think uh, David ends up getting the most out of uh, his artists because he puts the ball in their court and trusts them. And I, I think they respect that. And so they, they don't, um, they try not to let him down. And that's how I felt the whole time. I didn't want to let anybody down. Yeah. Um, and uh, if it wasn't right, they'll just say, like, it's not right. You know, go back, do it again. I don't think you let anybody down with those covers, especially the, <laughs> especially the readers. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of, I wasn't really that concerned about my, the readers because they were, they were going to be introduced to it. And yeah. I was, I was concerned about the older fans maybe, but you know, that was kind of a bonus. If they liked it, that yeah. would be a bonus. Um, uh, you know, and I, and I wanted to make sure um, Jan Rowling liked it. I thought yeah. that if she didn't like it, then gosh, um, I really did something wrong. But and she, she seemed well. She, I, all I heard was that she said that, that she liked them. And, oh, good. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, because she, she had to approve them. So yeah. And, and she said, I think she was busy with her books and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and when she saw the images, she was just like, oh, you know, this is great. Yeah. She job. seems to be outspoken with things that she doesn't like. So I think you're probably safe. <laughs> I, I get the I get the feeling she has her priorities in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you ever think that you're gonna you you'd return to do something like Flight or Explorer again? Oh, uh, anthologies. Yeah. yeah. If there's a place for them, you know, um, I don't think there's a real place for them at the moment. Um, it's been hard. Uh, everybody who's worked on the anthologies, I'm, uh, you know, I. I don't, and I don't know if I, I, I would say that I feel I let everybody down with these things because mm. <laughs> I think in some ways, for my own standards, I let myself down because I wasn't able to make it um, financially workable for my publishers and for everyone involved, you know? And and so in some ways, um, I mean, this is, it's actually a probably testament to my stubbornness that I did about a dozen of those, or like 13 of these things because I was like, <laughs> I got it. I got to figure it out. You're going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm keep doing it. And the results just, you know, from an artistic perspective, uh, were pretty good. But I think from a practical perspective, um, I saw, I saw it was diminishing and we were, 
it was its impact was diminishing and i just thought well if we're not increasing then this is a failure this is not i can't i can't continue yeah <laughs> so i ended up having to stop and, and refocus and i'll think about it maybe maybe something else will come out of it um but um it was cool to see a lot of the artists that were uh writers and artists in there doing their own books now um, oh yeah you know, I mean, it seems it seems like they were a great launching point for a lot of careers and a lot of you know, people who maybe were quote unquote struggling at the time. No, I don't think so. You, you know, don't? like people think that they, they, they're giving me too much credit. <laughs> I just happened to know people who were about to be big. And uh, I, I felt that it didn't matter if I was there or not. They would have they would have found their way. Um, so that's why I'm not, I'm not too concerned about the lack of having a flight or an explorer. I actually think it might be a good thing because it makes people feel like, you know, they've got to put a little bit more effort into their, uh, their, their big project, their own personal thing. Um, so it might be a good thing. Uh, you mentioned Daisy Cutter. Um, Mm -hmm. and I have to ask, is there any chance for doing it for more? I mean, it, it, yeah. you alluded yeah. to the fact that, that you didn't think that you were going to, but this copy that I've got sitting right here, it's got a one on the spine and it's tantalizing know, there's, me. There's three stories and I know what the stories are. I know exactly what they are. Um, and I was ready to go and do the second one, you know, and the second book is going to be so awesome. That's <laughs> why so it's so hard for me not to do it because uh, it's, it's right there. But um, I, there's only so much time um, in the day and resources that yeah. I can, you know, I, I can put towards something. And, and I feel like, again, going back to what I was saying about um, uh, the wave and the timing of things, I, I think an all ages book is just much more important to, for me to, to stay focused on. Yeah. There's just not enough out there. If there were like 10 amulet type books, like that I could just point people to. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of them. And there, and in fact that there were more, if I felt that there was more books than, um, um, then the opportunities uh, presented, I would say, um, uh, okay, well then I could do Daisy Cutter, you know, yeah. but I feel like I'd be, um, I wouldn't be doing my job well um, if I, if I did that now, it'd be a little selfish of me. <laughs> <laughs> I like doing, I, I like drawing Daisy and, and that story. And that was really just kind of just for me, you know, yeah. it wasn't really, I didn't really think about, in fact, there's a challenge. The challenge was to make the the least sellable book <laughs> that that somebody would um, would pick it up and go, "Wow, this book shouldn't sell," but man, it's good. You did a good job. <laughs> that means he's a really good artist and writer. I, yeah. That's what I love about genre and storytelling. Yeah. I find mean, that that's often the case. Um, we're just kind of jumping from from project to project here. You also you created Copper, uh-huh. um, which is a comic strip. I think it's fair to say you originally published it online. It was a web comic. Um, and I recently watched that documentary stripped, which I, I, I know you were in, you, you were interviewed for that. And uh, anybody listening who's not familiar with it, it's a fantastic documentary about, about the current state of comic strips. Um, and it's, it includes everyone who's anyone who's ever done a comic strip. Um, but as somebody who's worked in both, who's worked in both media, I guess, comic strips and longer, graphic novels what's the biggest difference i mean i understand the the obvious differences but like why is one dying while the other is thriving and is it really just the the the, like newspapers um yeah it's the venues yeah yeah that's really it it's it's a matter of um you know comics aren't dying comics will survive they're like the cockroaches (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I mean, we can fit ourselves in any space. <laughs> yeah. Nobody should ever worry about the cartoonists because they will find some way to work off of the crumbs and survive and thrive somehow. Um, uh, I feel like cartoonists are generally like mascots of things. Mm -hmm. They are the people who represent being in between an audience and a particular type of culture or idea. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, I feel like the Penny Arcade guys are like, in some ways, like the, the like the spokespeople for a, a generation of gamers and the people who make those games. And I, I think he, they connect those people. Um, in my case, I am um, I'm a teacher's assistant. Uh, and it took me a while to figure that out, but I'm just a glorified teacher's assistant. I just create um, stuff for teachers to to enter into their classroom and get kids to read. Um, and the more I accept that, the easier it is for me to do my job. And um, you know, and, and the list goes on. For a lot of newspaper folks, it was just it was really general. It was just like um, um, it, they filled the space of time that you had between. Um, uh, you know, eating your breakfast and getting to work. Um, and, and it's something you look forward to every day. Now that's filled with um, your, your phones, with, with Twitter, with there's so much information there that can fill that meme. Um, it, it's, it's filled with going to a Starbucks. Yeah. Uh, going to a Starbucks maybe replaced a comic strip or reading a newspaper, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, like these things. So um, comics artists just have to be savvy about where to where to fit themselves, see how the culture moves, you know, like watch the waves, like I was saying before, yeah. and figure out where they where they fit in between things. Um, and so the dying of the, the death of the newspaper, I don't think there's really that much of a death. It's just changing. Yeah. The way we get our news um, is changing. And and um, if we can change perception of um Content on the web is something that you would purchase. I, I actually, you know, subscribe to the Seattle Times here, um, and I actually pay for um, the paper, even though I don't really read the paper. Mm -hmm. I just, I just go onto the site to access um, stories that I'm, I'm interested in that I wouldn't have access to otherwise. So, um, as long as we, once we get used to that, I mean, I, I buy my music online, I buy music, movies online. I'm fine with it. It's totally great. Everyone's fine with paying for content as long as it's made easy. Mm -hmm. um, and if they can understand why they're making that purchase. Um, and so once, you know, newspapers figure that out, I'm sure there's some things comics could find their way in there somehow. Although um, uh, I think uh, graphic novels are just a better platform right now for comics. Yeah. Uh, there's just a bigger need there than um, something ancillary to the news. Yeah, they're easier to bring into the classroom. And I think that's huge, that's huge at this point. Yeah, and also the kids have the power to control that, the medium yeah. in, in a way. They can act, they can get their hands on it, and they can decide if they want something. Yeah. Um, whereas they wouldn't with the news; they would have to ask their parents for that. So, I mean, in your opinion, it's never been easier now to sort of, as an artist or as an author or as, as a creator of any kind, just to put whatever you create online. I mean, it's super yeah. easy to put it out there for people to read, to see, to judge, to comment on. So is that ease, I guess as an artist, is that ease um, to your benefit or to your hazard when you're a young artist trying to just sort of get your career started or make a name for yourself? Um. I don't know. Um, I, I think for me, I would be super happy about it. Um, and, and I felt, I mean, honestly, I, I was somebody that, that had already won all these awards as an editorial cartoonist. I, I had portfolios that, you know, were deemed 
good enough for me to get jobs all, all over the place. And I was already working actually as a working artist when I started working in web comics and I started doing copper. Um, but I, you know, I just, so it wasn't like I, I went to the web as a place to find a job <laughs> right, or find work or anything like that. It was just a place to just express myself. Mm hmm aside from my job and things like that. And then people looked at that and said, you know, we like what you do here a lot. You know, well, this is what we, we, we were hoping you do this forever instead of the other things you do. And then, so they sort of shaped my job in that way. So, you know, I, I love the web as being some places of like kind of a, a great equalizer. They, it makes the audience, um, your boss. Yeah. And I think that's right. I think that's just the way, you know, with media, that's kind of how it should be. Um, that not one, no one person with just a singular vision should determine what the masses get to see. I, I think that they should choose, you know, so, so finding great comics and finding, um, popular comics online and then, and then become them become like Kate Beaton, then becoming like New York times bestsellers. I think that's incredibly democratic process that works very, very well. Um, and it's something that, um, that the world decided that that should be the case that this person should be, um, one of our best. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I love that. I think it's great. Yeah. Kids should be excited. I, you know, I, I don't have an artistic bone in my body, but I, I mean, if I could, I would be out there doing a webcomic because I, I, I read them. I love them. I, you know, I pick up the books when they're put into pa the paper dead tree form. I still buy them, uh -huh. you know, but like it, it seen it's such an exciting time for somebody who wants to get their stuff out there. But at the same time, it seems like it could be very um, intimidating because the Internet is not only forever, it's also immediate, you know, and whereas if you if you're years ago if you were sending out portfolios or sending out writing samples uh, or something you know maybe you'd hear back from a publisher maybe you wouldn't maybe you'd get some kind of feedback but now it's it's immediate if somebody doesn't like what you're doing they will let you know <laughs> well that's good that's it, it good. is good yeah, it's not I always mean, they're not always phrased you know politely but <laughs> about publishing it takes what was it um amulet one came out uh january 2008 i think technically I think that's uh -huh. when it was published. It was the very first week of January 2008. It hit the New York Times bestseller list for the first time at the end of 2014. Wow. <laughs> it's got, what do they say? It's got it legs. Sort of like, it's got like long if legs. You want to say the internet's forever. I mean, publishing is yeah. a little bit more permanent if you're lucky. Yeah. You that's know, the, 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 you want to have a perennial book. And that's one of the reasons why I mean, it was still to this day the hardest project I ever worked on. Like all these new books are harder to make technically, but emotionally, um, yeah. psychologically, I think making the first aim of the book was difficult because I knew that what it meant for the rest of my books and everything else I was going to do, it was going to yeah. be with me forever. Sure. If you're on the web, you can just take it down. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You can just redo it. it. If you don't like the way it started. a lot of permanence. It's actually, it's less permanent. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a good testing ground. So there's, you should be less fearful. Yeah. Put it up online. That's a good point. My yeah. wife's doing a webcomic right now too. I will link to it because it's great. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Yeah, um, she's, she's just getting started. She's super excited. I know. Uh, I know you're a Miyazaki fan. So of is is it safe to say that he's an influence on what you on on your work? Yeah, uh, he as him as a person or just as a, as an artist. Uh, Both. Writer. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know it's too much about him as a person. Um, I mean, he seems grumpy to me. <laughs> did you did, did you see I, the uh, the documentary about Studio yeah, Ghibli? I, I, 
grumpy. He does. He seems very grumpy, yeah. but he seems like the kind of like old grumpy grandpa you'd love. Uh, no, no, yeah, he's not. He's not as grumpy as he says he is. <laughs> Say that he's kind of just like playing it out. Like yeah. there's a couple of play acting going on. You know, the guy's. I think he's eternally an optimist at heart. Um, but um, I don't know. Also, something gets lost in translation with Japanese a lot of the times. I mean. Um, when you see it translated, oftentimes it just sounds super negative all the time, <laughs> and that, that just happens. So, um, but yeah, Miyazaki's work obviously is very, um, very influential. I actually didn't get into his work until late in my my later in my life. It was in college that I discovered rediscovered it. I didn't realize I had been watching his work when I was a kid because yeah. um, I only saw I only saw uh, my neighbor Totoro, mm-hmm. and I saw. Um, uh, Warriors of the Wind, which is the dubbed um, English version of uh, Nausicaa the Valley of Wind, where um, it was all cut up and changed and everything. <laughs> yeah. But I saw that on TV. I was going, this is weird. <laughs> like a weird this is weird for a cartoon. It's not funny. Like, I feel like as a kid, I'm not supposed to watch this. Yeah. That was my impression of it. And then when I saw Totoro when I was a kid, like 10 years old, I saw that on TV and I thought, what is this magical thing? Yeah. And, and I held on to that. So. Yeah. Do you have a is Do you have a favorite? I mean, is Totoro just nostalgia? Yeah, oh, uh, for the movies, yeah. uh, it's hard to say. I think I love the fact that I can't really pick one because yeah. there's no all there, there isn't like a um, um, there isn't a movie he's done that is like uh, that that services all your needs. <laughs> you know, uh, it's for each movie has is great for different times in your life and the different different moods that you might have. Um, but if there's one that I I often pick as my favorite. I hope, looking back on it now, I, I think I think Spirit Away yeah. um, just might be that one because it's the one that I could watch it in any, in any mood mm-hmm. and almost come out the same way after I'm done. Yeah. So um, yeah, I love that movie. I, but I love Kiki so much. I love <laughs> you know. I mean, I love Parker Rosso. I mean, yeah. I used to say to people in college like uh, that. Uh, it, it, if there's a heaven, it's that man's mind for me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm. You know what I mean? I, was I like, could be I happy. Enter. I could be happy I in like, that. I habit. would enter into. I want to just live in his brain. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> With Joe Hisaishi playing music, you know. Oh right? my gosh! Could you imagine? That's what well, if that's it, then that's 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 what it is for me. So, um, you know, and I, and I held on to that. It's just one of the reasons why I try not to get too in, into studying about the man himself because yeah. you don't ruin his the myths are so yeah they're so powerful for me. I just want yeah. it to be kind of unreachable. Yeah, Spirited Away, um, I think was the first one I saw on the big screen. And so that sort of stuck with me. And it's still probably if I had to pick one, that would be my favorite. But I have a very soft spot for Castle in the Sky. Yeah. Um, it was the first one my daughter saw. Oh. I, I took her, a, a theater here was doing a retrospective and they were showing everything he had done. And uh, so I took her and she was, I think, four at the time. And I didn't realize... Well, they they showed the wrong print. They were supposed to show the English dub, but they uh-huh. showed the Japanese version. So I was fine with that. But yeah. she's four years old and she couldn't yeah. read the subtitling. Yeah, She didn't care one bit. She yeah. was just mesmerized by the movie. And I would kind of whisper. Luckily, the theater wasn't that full. So I whispered to her the story the entire time. Um, but because of that, she fell in love with almost all of his work. And right. the, the soundtrack to Castle in the Sky was on like, repeat in our house and right. in our car for a long time because of that so i have a very soft spot for that film because of that but yeah that's it's, great yeah. It, it is hard to pick just one though it is it's hard it's, yeah. it's always changing for me 
Yeah. <laughs> one is changing always because when I was in my twenties, I easily would have said Porcaroso. Yeah. Well, that's funny. That usually doesn't make the top of many people's lists. Yeah, that's, that was easily my favorite when yeah. I was uh, starting my career here as a comic artist. That's a fun movie. Uh, it's I actually, um, yeah, Flight. It, it, it really that's that's what inspired Flight. Really? It was actually the comic strip, the comic that was created for Porcaroso that became the uh, basis for that movie. It was only uh, sixteen pages long, uh-huh. and so I read that and I said, "That's the whole movie right there, in sixteen pages." I was like, "If that can be done, yeah. then that means if we do a bunch of sixteen-page comics in a book, then we basically have a." Sh- huge volume full of movies yeah, exactly <laughs> the basis for my favorite movie so i thought well this is let's just do that and that's why flight came together and it was why it looks the way it does it's because of Porcaroso. wow uh, yeah. that's awesome so i mean you mentioned movies and you mentioned amulet so where do things stand with that right now that you're able to talk about super exciting right now gosh um and i am so fortunate i i, I really you know, you know, I put so much, you know, faith in my readers to carry the idea and the vision of this thing and, and, and really make it their own and, and really take it to, to places that when, when I started the story, I didn't realize that it would be the children of the people who would eventually make the movie mm. that drive the movie. Yeah. And that's what's happening right now. I think that's what's happening. I feel like all the producers' kids are the bosses, and mm-hmm. we're all – and my kids are my boss. So I feel like we're all kind of working for them. Yeah. And it's such a good experience. It's just it's such a good place to be, I think, from a, on a creative standpoint where, you know, the egos are all out the door, um, you know. Pete Harris at Temple Hill is who I work with directly. And it's every time I talk with him, I just have a blast. I just want to, we just want, I just want to chat about movies yeah. the whole day. Um, and, and we're just getting started. So I can't really speak for the whole process, but so far it's been so wonderful. Um, yeah. I, I really, I, it's going to be great. And I, uh, so I, I get to be involved, which is cool. Um, as executive producer, I think I owe a, a great debt of gratitude to um, Stephanie Meyer and John Green for or they, the, who they worked with on yeah. on their films um, that really provided, I think, a template for working with authors in, in a very respectful, meaningful way. Um, and I think that you know, just having them collaborate with the producers is, is fantastic. It's you know, the history of movies and how they the, it just. The, Producers and, and authors throughout history uh, have not necessarily gotten along. <laughs> yeah, no, I, so I've heard. <laughs> yeah, and so this is a complete. This group has has really changed the game, and you know, I think I think that, you know, say what you will about any of the movies that they have made. I think that they were have all been very successful in interpreting uh, and um, and collaborating, uh, interpreting the work and collaborating and, and keeping the spirit of whatever the author had in mind. Yes. Yeah. So I don't forgive me because I don't even know is the film going to be animated or is it live action? Oh, live action. It's live action. Isn't that exciting? That's, That's, what That's what I want. That's what I I didn't want an animated film. I love animated movies. Yeah. And this is the one thing about Miyazaki's films that uh, that like kind of make me step back that they're animated. And I don't have a, a you know a dislike of animated films, but something about live action movies there's this a magic show element to that of seeing something so fantastic made real that has always been appealing to me. Um, Miyazaki's works I look at from almost a craftsman's perspective or, or like kind of a meditative way that I, there's a distance still because yeah. it's animated, you know? And But but his work is so evocative and it's so um, close to his heart when you can, you can tell that the artist 
is really just talking to you that I feel um, I'm taken, I'm transported in a way I, I, I'm not with a lot of animated films. Um, with 3D films, CG animated films, I think it, it it's more immersive, mm -hmm. but I still, like, I'm still admiring the craft of the way that the main character moves. Yeah. Like, I don't really go into, like, as much as I admire, like, uh, Elijah Wood's performance in Lord of the Rings. I feel like I'm just with him and not yeah. admiring his acting. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's something about live action that um, that just still gets me in a way that no animated film can. And so um, I've always told people back when I was in college that I wasn't interested in animating. Um, I love animation. Mm -hmm. Really, res really respected it. And I felt like I could do it. But I, I really liked live action films and comics. Mm -hmm. Those are the two things that that were that really spoke to me, and I, I just thought I don't know where that puts me. I don't know how that fits, but it's cool to see yeah. how years later they're it's happening. You know, <laughs> oh, that is exciting. I can't. I mean, I know you can't share a whole lot, and it's still early days, but I'm 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 excited to just be following along. You know, just to be along for the ride. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be I'll be tweeting about it and everything like that. Whatever I can I can, I can share some info. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just say it's been it's been super positive. Good, um, and I, I couldn't be happier about it. And That's great I, I to think, hear. Uh, I'm really looking forward to working with with all these folks. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, I'm spoiled. So, <laughs> great. It's good. Pro it's a good problem to have, though, right? Yeah, it is. It is. It's great. Yeah. Um, I'll focus on my books, though. Focus. <laughs> I'm sure. To. I'm sure. Um, in your career, you've met probably thousands of young readers, and a lot of them have probably told you that someday they want to be writers or are artists themselves. I'm just curious, what advice do you give them? Um, to, to basically learn to get back up when things don't go well and they get, they fall down, you know, and, and really, um, that's what I talk about in my school talks, mm -hmm. um, uh, to uh, try to alleviate a fear of failure because I feel like a lot of times a career, it stopped short before it even begins uh, because people don't think that they're going to make it. Um, when they know that it's actually pretty good to fail early on a lot. And that's what I, this is what I, I preach all the time is, is that it's good to fail yeah. and survive it. If you can survive a failure, you should try to take that opportunity. See it as an opportunity, yeah. like fall on your face, see what it feels like. And this is what I did with movies early on. You know, I just want, I just went in there with a story that I didn't, I cared about to some extent, but not, I was okay with letting it go. And I did, you know, eventually. Um, but I, I, I used that project as a way for me to see what it's like to fall on my face the way that all these other producers and directors have before. Um, and it was so helpful to be able to have that perspective going in and then to come out of it. Um, I felt like I, I was in a place where I could, speak about it meaningfully, you know, and it's the same with everything I do on my comics and stuff like that. I just feel like, okay, well, I don't know how to color something like this. I better try it and just mess up <laughs> until I figure it out. And eventually I will, I, I I'm confident that I'll figure it out at some point. Um, and so that's what I tell the kids. And, um, and if you're into, if you're into failing and figuring it out, then you can pretty much do anything, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that is a powerful message that I think most kids, well, I don't know about most kids, but a lot of kids today don't get, you know, that you should be free to fail. You know, it's okay because that's how you're going to pick yourself up and learn, you know, and, and yeah. move on. Yeah, we, we, we should give a lot of people room to mess up. Mm -hmm. 
that, that's really, I think, what it comes down to. My message for them would be that, and for teachers too. I think teachers already talk about that all the time in the classes, and kids don't think that that's true because a lot of times their parents, from a place of fear, uh, are telling them, no, you can't mess up. No, exactly. and maybe they're being told that at work and then they, they pass that down to their kids. And, and that's not, I don't know if that's necessarily healthy. I think yeah, you should. It's not fair. Yeah. I mean, you're going to overcome, you, in order, order to overcome failure, you can't be afraid of it. Exactly. Exactly. That is a great place to end. I know we've, I've kept you for a, quite a long time. Um, oh, I that's really fun. appreciate it. This has been fun. a great chat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. That was Thank fun. All right, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. I always know just what to say. <laughs> I'm such a eloquent, I'm so eloquent with words. Yeah, you, I should, you, you talk words good. Yes, I do. <laughs> hey, I don't sound I don't I don't, I don't sound like Steve Avery <laughs> down in uh have you seen that documentary yet on Netflix? I have not watched okay. it yet. I've heard so much about it, but okay. I haven't, I haven't you seen You gotta that. hear him speak and then you'll okay. think that I'm a lyrical genius. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. Um <laughs> So uh, what was your favorite part about that conversation, Jamie? I'm a huge um, Miyazaki fan. And uh, I just like, I, I, I know that um, Kazu was as well. So I like just sort of picking the brain and talking, right. geeking out a little bit about some some good Japanese animation. Um, mm-hmm. So, but I also, I, I'm a huge Amulet fan. Um, been reading it with my daughter. Um, she, she's very, very, we actually just got the seventh book uh, the other day. So she's super excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, just, you know, I, you asked me what's my favorite thing. I, I can't pick anything. Right. I like That's all of our thing. conversations with right. everybody from well, all, start to finish. Well, and it's something I wanted to mention, something that I think is really cool, if I may say so, about our own podcast is you may. I, I like the realms that we touch on. It's not just like we started out as Disney and that's long gone. Um, but we can touch on any realm of geekdom and we can find a way to have a conversation that's good. You yeah. know what I mean? Everybody fun. They're all fundamentally creators. They're all creatives and they all have a passion. So that's easy to talk to. <laughs> you know what I mean? So no, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, that's sort of what we're striving for here is right. to talk to people who work in lots of different industries and lots of different fields, mm. but they all have some sort of a creative touch on, on, uh, you know, geek right. pop culture. So. Well, and I challenge the, you, the listener, if you ever hear an episode and you're like, for example, this week, you know what? I'm not really a big fan of, uh, Japanese animation or, or, or graphic whatever, novels graphic or novels whatever, yeah. or whatever. Still listen to it because maybe you will be a fan at the end. You just don't know that yet. <laughs> or, or maybe, you know, if you are a creative in another aspect, right. maybe, maybe you're a writer or you're a painter or mm-hmm. something, you know, I mean, a lot of these pursuits overlap and we talk about creative, uh, you know, inspiration and endeavor and, and right. process that people go through for, you know, experimentation and discovery. And that speaks to a lot of different people, mm-hmm. regardless of what they are doing at the moment. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming by this week. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast, Facebook at the GBB Podcast. And I am Justin at 140 Justin C. I'm Jamie at The Robots. And you've been a great big beautiful podcast. I'm going to use that for Boom! Now. Boom! Booyah! <laughs> Have a good week. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.